Father in heaven, Lord, I'm so thankful for the Bible and the Bible only. Lord, as we use this as our guide through the darkness of this world, please reveal Jesus Christ to us once again. May he be brought out in a clearer light, especially in this chapter that we're studying, Lord. May you help us to see Jesus and help us to draw closer to him is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 12, and we're going into a different phase now. We've seen the dragon and the woman, and how that he was standing there, ready to devour the child as soon as it was come out. But now, we're going to shift the picture a bit. First, we're going to look at verse 5 before we jump into other things. Verses 5 and 6. Let's look at verse 5. Revelation 12 and verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who is to rule all nations with a what? Rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. That child was what? It was caught up to God. It was caught up. Now where else do we see the similar concept about this child whom we know to be what? To who? Jesus Christ. Let's look at Mark chapter 16, okay? Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. Last chapter of Mark, just before Jesus, I mean, he's just given the great commission to them. But here in verse 19, it says, So then, after the Lord has spoken unto him, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So after Jesus Christ ascended, where did he go? He went up to heaven and he where? He sat down at the right hand of God. So he was caught up to heaven. To do what? To sit at the right hand of God. But let's look at Acts also. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Also speaking of the ascension of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The ascension of Jesus Christ. He was taken up in a what? A cloud. So Jesus Christ was caught up to heaven. To do what? Sit at the right hand of God. What does that sitting signify? What does Jesus sit down as? We studied this in the past. He sat down as a high priest. And a high priest does what? He reconciles the sins of the people, or he what? Makes atonement for the sins of the people. But that is for another time. Let's read verse 6, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6. Revelation 12 verse 6, the Bible says, And the woman, which woman is this referring to? The one that we saw in verse 1, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness. Now what does woman represent again? Church. So the church fled in the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. How many days is that? One thousand two hundred and sixty days. So she was in the wilderness for 1,260 days. Now, where do we see the 1,260-year period come up? 
the time of the papal supremacy. Now, this gives us a time frame, though, because it has to be after the child is caught up, after the ascension of Jesus Christ. So it has to be after 31 AD. Okay? After that, the woman flees into the wilderness. So sometime after the ascension, the church goes into a wilderness experience. And we know that to be what? 538 to 1798, the time of the papal supremacy. So during that time, God's church went into hiding. And we know that she was relatively unseen for that time period. We couldn't see God's true church. But how long was it for? 1,260 years. Papal persecution. So during this time, God's church seemed like it had been obliterated, totally wiped off the face of the earth. But we know that was not so. She was just in hiding. All right, now let's move on. Revelation 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So suddenly we see a shift in this picture. There was war in heaven. So we know that the time period for the first six verses goes from when? The birth of Jesus Christ up till to around what time? 1798. So we know that the time period of this first six verses goes from the birth or zero all the way to 1798. But then verse 7, it takes us all the way back to where? Even before the creation of the earth. Now, why is that so? Suddenly, a picture of war in heaven begins. Before the creation of the earth. 6,000 years before. Okay? Why is that? Somehow, war in heaven is in between papal, description of papal persecution. Because if you come over to verse 14, it describes the woman in hiding again. For time, times, and dividing of time. In verse 14 of Revelation 12. So in between papal persecution, we see what? War in heaven. So it's somehow it's vital to understand the controversy that happened in heaven to understand the time or the period of papal persecution of 1,260 years. So there must have been a reason why this was put in. What was it? What do we know about the war in heaven? Well, let's continue on from this observation, okay? The reason why Lucifer started war in heaven is the same as the reason why the little horn surfaced. Did you know that? The reason why war was started in heaven by Lucifer is the same reason of why the little horn came up. Now, let's look at this. Describing Lucifer and his fall, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And starting in verse 12. Now we're looking at the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, and starting in verse 12, all the way to 14. Let's read this. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the where? Sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like what? The most high. What was the problem with Satan? He had an eye problem. I, I, I. I will ascend. I will sit, put my throne in the sides of the north. I will be like the most high. He wanted to be like who? God. That was Lucifer's problem. He wanted to be like God. And that's why he was cast out of heaven. How about the papacy? Let's look at this. Daniel first. We'll go to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. We'll look at two texts. First, Daniel 7 and verse 25. Daniel seven twenty-five. the Bible says, and he, speaking of that little horn, the Antichrist, the papacy, Daniel seven twenty-five, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. So here, he was what? Speak great words against the Most High, the same one whom Satan wanted to replace to be like. He will speak great words and he will also persecute his people. But let's go with the Second Thessalonians. This is speaking of that man of sin whom we know also to be what? The papacy. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let's go there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Speaking of the papacy and what they wanted to do. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We see here that the papacy and Lucifer had exactly the same problem. They wanted to be God. Not be like God, they wanted to be God. In the place of God, they wanted to exalt their thrones above God. So somehow the war in heaven of Lucifer being thrown out, being cast out of heaven, has a similar situation of what is going to happen to the papacy. And do the people need to know that, that we're being persecuted? Yes, they did. They need to understand that just as Lucifer was dealt with, so will the papacy. They both will be dealt with in the future. But who is Michael? Jesus Christ. Now, we looked at this the last time. We've looked into how we understand that Jesus Christ is also Michael the Archangel. So, you'll need to get the previous recordings to to understand or get the text from the Bible, how we know that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel. But let's read verse 8. So we know that when we read verse 7 that Michael and his angels fought, it was Jesus Christ against that dragon, that dragon Lucifer, that dragon Satan, the devil. It's not pagan Rome, whom it was applied to in the previous verses. But here in verse 8 it says, And prevailed not. Neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. So we know that Satan did not prevail. He was cast out. He was thrown out of heaven. But he took what? A third of the stars with him. But there was no place 
anymore found in heaven for him. But what did Satan want to do? What did he want to do? There's one thing that I really want to bring out. The reason of why mainly Satan was cast out. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14, okay? Really, the thing that I really want to bring out here is in verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, it says there at the latter part of verse 13 that I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of where? The north. So Satan wanted to sit in the sides of the north. Now let's look at this. Let's go to Psalms 48 verse 2. What does it talk about the sides of the north here? Psalms 48 verse 2. It'll give us a good, clear picture of the reason why Satan was cast out. And we're going to see the same picture brought out. So we're going a bit deeper into this to understand. So we'll see the same picture brought out also with the papacy. Psalms 48 and verse 2. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. The mount is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of what? The great king. So we know the city of the great king is also where? The sides of the north. But Lucifer wanted to plant his seat or throne in the sides of the north. So we know that he wanted to supersede God's throne. So for God's kingdom to be in the sides of the north, his throne must also be there. So what is God's throne or kingdom connected to? Let's go over to Psalms 97 now. We've looked in, at this text before previously, but in connection with God's throne and His kingdom being in the sides of the north, Psalms 97 and verse 2. Psalms 97 and verse 2. Clouds and darkness are round about Him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. What was the foundation of His throne? Righteousness and what? Judgment. And if we go to Psalms 119 verse 172, what is righteousness equal to again? Have you forgotten already? It's equal to what? Commandments. So therefore the foundation of God's throne of righteousness and judgment really is the commandments because in Ecclesiastes 12 it says that God will judge us with His commandments or in James called the law of liberty. So the foundation of God's throne is the commandments. So when Satan said that he wanted to plant his throne in the sides of the north, really, he wanted to change God's commandments. He had some problem with the commandments of God or the law of God. So really, the great controversy was over the commandments of God. And today, it still is. Today, the controversy still is over the commandments of God and why man cannot keep them. Before, before the cross, Satan said that it was impossible for man to keep the commandments. And then God sent His Son, sold under the law, 
had to be subject to his own commandments, the one who wrote them himself. He came and lived the Ten Commandments. He obeyed them. And so Satan, after the cross, he had to change his argument. He says, you know what? It's not relevant to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. And so Satan's enmity has always been against Jesus Christ and against his law. And if you study into the law of God, we know that his law is a what? Transcript of his character. So therefore, we know that Satan had a problem with God's character, his law. That was a great controversy. And it all began in heaven. It didn't start here on earth. It began in heaven. But we know that as a result, Satan was what? Cast out of heaven. But let's move on in this picture, okay? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So as a result, he was cast out, but he brings out all these names of this dragon. It's what? Serpent, devil, Satan, which what? Deceiveth the whole world. Earth was his dominion. He deceived the whole world. It became his. He was a prince of this world. Even Jesus Christ called him that. But let's look at this in the relation to deception. What do we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. How were we deceived? What brought about deception? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, And Adam was not deceived. Who was not deceived? Adam. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Transgression. Where have you heard that word transgression from? 1 John 3, 4 tells us sin is the what? Transgression of the law. So how did Satan deceive the whole world? He led them to transgress the law of God. Transgress the law of God. So clearly we see that Satan's enmity has always been against the law of God, which was the transcript or the character of God. But that old serpent, now what do we know about an old serpent? Where have we seen old serpent before? Where is the first instant that we see the serpent in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Let's go there. What do we know about serpent. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's go there. Genesis 3 and we're looking at verse 1. The Bible here says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, 
Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So this, this serpent was more what? How did it describe it? It was more subtle. And you know what the word subtle means? It means very cunning, crafty, and deceptive. So when we talk about a serpent, we talk about its characteristics of being subtle, of being cunning, crafty, and deceptive. So when we look at Satan being described as a serpent, we understand that he's a very deceptive person. And he deceived by getting the whole world to what? Transgress the law of God. So serpent is related to what? Deception. Now, we look at the dragon, on the other hand, what do we, when we look at a picture of a dragon, what do we perceive or see? What? Persecution. And that's exactly what Satan did through pagan Rome. Persecuted God's people, that great red dragon, standing there ready to devour the child, right? And how was it to try to be devoured? Herod sent his troops into Bethlehem and killed all those of two years and younger. Persecution. The dragon is related to persecution through and through. But this dragon, Satan, can work like a serpent too. So it has many facets, or so to speak, weapons up its sleeve. Persecution and deception. Keep this in mind, okay? Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Let's look at this text here, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. What does it talk about deception? Ephesians 4 and verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So really, what is this deception talking about when it talks about in relation to Satan and that serpent? Deceiving with what? Every what? Wind of doctrine by the slate of men. That's why, friends, we have to be very careful that when we study the Bible, we make the Bible its only answer. Or else we put in our own opinions and all these winds of doctrine have come throughout. Throughout, especially our time there, the winds of doctrine are there, friends. We need to come back to the Bible and the Bible only and let the Bible interpret itself. But who introduces it? Satan, that serpent, deceptive. And there's one thing that I would like to bring out about this serpent. It twists the Word of God. Let's go back to Genesis 3 and I'll show you. Genesis chapter 3, let's, uh, let's read this, okay? What the, the serpent said to the woman. He twisted the words of God. Let's start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What do we call this? What is he doing? He's putting doubt into her mind. 
Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall neither, not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And watch this. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, What? Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he took the words of God, and he twisted it. Ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. And there are men out there that preach the, with the Bible, but they say exactly opposite to what the Bible is actually saying. Using the Bible to twist turn away it's were the words of God the work of the serpent so when we look at the serpent here in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 we see one characteristic coming out very clearly deception deception by how twisting the words of God and we've got to be careful of this we'll see it in the future but he's also called what the devil and Satan and you know what the Satan means adversary enemy or accuser. Satan is an accuser. And what does he accuse us of? Do you know? What do we know about Satan, our adversary? John chapter 6. And we're looking at verse 70 and 71. And this is very interesting. An illustration is brought out here in John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking about Judas. It says here in verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Verse 70, He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So, when we bring out the aspect of Satan as an accuser, an adversary, an enemy, that devil, two things come out. First, he was one of the twelve. He was from among them. And you have to keep this in mind, okay? The devil is not from the outside. He's from among us. I tell you, friends, the worst enemy that you can have is one that was once one of your closest friends. That's the worst sort of enemy that you can have. And secondly, he's a betrayer. Now I want you to keep these things in mind, okay? First, what was the serpent related to? Its characteristics? Deception. Secondly, what was the serpent's, uh, the devil's characteristics related to? He's one of the inner group and he's also a betrayer. And the devil... I mean, pardon me, the dragon, what is it related to? Persecution, okay? Now, the dragon and the serpent are working together, especially in the last days. Especially during the last days. Let's go to Matthew 24. I want to show you this, and let's see if these characteristics come out, okay? Matthew 24, looking at verse 9. Matthew 24, and we're looking here at verse 9. The Bible says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, 
and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. What do we call this? Persecution. Do you see that? First, referring to persecution. This is from Satan, talking about last day events. They're going to kill you. And certainly, we're told in inspiration that those that were under the banner of the three angels' messages will go out to join the enemies or the ranks of the enemies on the other side, and they will be the greatest persecutors of the last days. But then it says in verse 10, let's read this. And then shall many be offended and shall what? Shall what? Betray one another and shall hate one another. So first we see persecution coming up and then we see betraying. Or we see the work of the dragon coming up and then the work of what? The devil, the betrayer. And then let's read verse 11 of Matthew 24. And many false prophets shall rise and shall what? Deceive many. The work of the serpent. So in the last days, Satan is going to use all these three forms. Persecution, betrayal, and deception to wrap up the last day events. These three names, very interestingly, all relate to things that are going to be in the last days. And it's exactly the things that the papal, papacy has used to and will use again. And it's, so I'm getting a clearer picture. We're getting a clearer picture of the reason why this great war in heaven was interjected between the papal persecution of the 1260 day period. Because the characteristics are the same. They're exactly the same. Let's move on. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. After this war and after Satan was cast out of heaven, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. When is that time? when Satan is cast out, when it says that now is come salvation. When did salvation come? When did we receive it? We received it at the cross. When Jesus Christ died for our sins at the cross, then and only then we received salvation. Because up to that point in time, 4,000 years before that, all the people existing before the cross were living in faith, pointing towards Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And by what service did they use to live in faith to point forward? It was the sanctuary service. It's at the cross where the two great dispensations meet. It's at the cross where things changed. We don't have killing of the lamb anymore. What do we have to remember the cross? Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Communion service. The breaking of the bread representing his what? Body and the drinking of the grape juice representing his blood. So it's at the cross that everything met. And here in Revelation 12, it says that now has come salvation. When was that? The cross. But then we also see here that he received what? Power and the power of his Christ. When did Jesus Christ actually receive power? Let's go to Matthew 28 and verse 18. 
Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, just as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, he says this unto his disciples into all ages, into the future. This is what we call the Gospel Commission. But Matthew 28 and verse 18. <clears throat> and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So when did Jesus Christ receive power? After his resurrection. Before he ascended up to heaven. And we know that the power of the Holy Ghost was poured out in a mighty way on the day of Pentecost. But let's look deeper into this power, okay? What about this power? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1.18. The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the what? Power of God. So the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Once again, relating to the cross of Jesus Christ. But then we go over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. We've turned to these texts a few times already. Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of what? The gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto what? Salvation. The gospel of Christ, but especially what? The cross is the power of God unto salvation. So when did Jesus Christ receive power? When did Jesus Christ receive what? Salvation? Or we receive salvation? It was at the cross. But then it said this. In Revelation 12, 10, it said this. After that, for the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Our accuser of our brethren is cast down? Now, wasn't Satan cast out of heaven after the war, before the earth was created? But it's saying that Satan was cast down when? According to verse 10. Where was it? The cross. Was Satan actually cast down at the cross? He was. Did you know that Satan still had access to heaven after he was thrown out? Let me show you. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Come with me to Job chapter 1. Satan actually still had access to heaven up until the cross. Job chapter 1, and starting in verse 6. God had this convocation of all the leaders of all the planets that he had created. He had set certain people to be in charge. And Adam was actually to be the person in charge of the earth. But when man and woman sinned, they gave the power of the earth or the dominion of the earth over to Satan. And Satan became the prince of the earth. He was a ruler. So when God had a convocation of all the leaders, in verse 6 of Job chapter 1, the Bible says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Satan came also among them. And God said, what are you doing here, Satan? 
The Lord said, Whence comest thou, Satan? And Satan answered, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. I own the earth. I go to and fro wherever I like, up and down. So that's why I'm here, Lord. I'm representing earth. Verse 8, and then he says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? So he goes on and talks about Job. But we know that before the cross, Satan still had access to heaven. Not as a citizen, but he represented earth. So when was Satan cast down? It was at the cross. But what about the cross made it so that Satan would be cast down? In Revelation chapter 12, and I want to show you this. Let's go back there. If we look at verse 8, verse 9, pardon me. He says that he was cast where? Cast out. Not cast down. Now, if you cast something down, what are you doing? You're throwing it where? Down. But when you cast something out, what are you doing? You're throwing it out, across, not down. Now, here it says in verse 10 that he was cast down, which accused him before God day and night. What happened at the cross that made Satan to be finally cast down, forever shut out from heaven? You know what it was? It was very interesting. When Satan was cast out of heaven, when the war happened, when this war that we read, and Satan was cast out of heaven, the angels in heaven still doubted God. The fallen worlds still doubted God. The unfallen, pardon me. The unfallen worlds. Those that weren't in sin, they looked and beheld, and as Satan was cast out of heaven, they wondered, was God really a merciful God or not? Did you know that? You can go back and read it. I recommend The Story of Redemption by Ellen G. White. It's a small book. But the angels in heaven, the ones that weren't cast out with Satan, the ones that still decided to follow God, they still had a certain element of doubt in their minds. And for 4,000 years, as they saw sin entering this world, they still didn't know whether God had truly made the right decision until at the cross. It was at the cross that the true nature of Jesus Christ, love, and the true nature of Satan, hatred, was finally brought out in its entirety. Satan crucified the Son of God. And finally, from that point on, at the cross, the whole unfallen world and all the angels in heaven finally made up the... They saw it. They made up the decision. God was just in casting Satan out. And from then on, the unfallen worlds and all the heavenly beings have made their decision for Jesus Christ. Satan was finally cast down. Verse 10 of Revelation 12. So the firm decision in everyone's mind was finally made, except one space in this universe. Earth. Somehow we live here on this earth the scene of where the Son of God actually walked, and we still have not made our decision whether God was just or not. 
But the cross should be enough to tell us that Satan is the devil, that, that accuser of the brethren, that one that deserves eternal death. But we still have not decided yet. Do you understand that? We have not. But all the angelic hosts in heaven and all the unfallen worlds have made the decision. Satan was finally cast out, down at the cross. But it says that he's the accuser of our brethren. And that is exactly what Satan means, accuser. You remember that? Now, what did he accuse us of? What was the accusation of Satan? That they cannot overcome. Overcome what? Sin. And that's exactly the problem with the Laodicean church. They can't overcome sin. But here we get a good picture in verse 11 and 12. This is a picture that we see in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame. And verse 12, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. There was a group of people mentioned in verse 11 that they overcame. But how did they overcome? Number one, they overcame them, him with the blood of the Lamb. They understood the sacrifice and the cross of Jesus Christ. But secondly, they overcame with the word of their testimony. Friends, we all have to have a testimony of overcoming. We all need to overcome in our lives or else we got no testimony to give. But what are we to testify of? Jesus Christ, John 5, 39. So we see here that they overcame with the, with the word of their testimony or with the what? Testimony of Jesus Christ, which is really what? The writings of the prophets, the Bible. We overcome with the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ which was shed for us at the cross, but also with the Bible and the Bible alone. And thirdly, they loved not their what? Lives unto the death. One great man said, you have not truly learnt to live if you have not found a cause to die for. You have not truly learnt to live if you have not found a cause to die for. And here's my question. Are you ready to die for Jesus Christ? You're not worthy to live until you have found a cause or a reason or something to die for. Are you ready to live for Jesus Christ? Many are. But are you ready to die for Jesus Christ is the question. But these people that overcome are ready to die ready to die. But it says there, therefore rejoice ye heavens. Now why should we rejoice? Because what? The accuser of our brethren is cast down. Satan actually has already been overcome. God is not waiting for Satan to reveal his final acts. God is waiting for his people to be sealed in their foreheads. Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. Satan has finally been overcome and that's why we ought to rejoice. 
Satan has been cast out of heaven forever, and Jesus has won the battle. He's won the controversy. But Satan knows that he has but a short time, so he comes down to us. What does he come down with, though? He comes down as a what? A serpent, a devil, and a dragon. What is that? Deception, betrayal, and what? Persecution. But let's look at one text here. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2 and verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 and also verse 10. It says here, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Friends, it's not enough to receive the truth. You have to receive the love of the truth. It's not enough to force yourself to study the Bible every day, but you've got to love it. You've got to delight yourself in it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight thyself in the Sabbath. It's not a matter of, Lord, I want to keep the Sabbath so I would get the seal of God, so I don't burn in fi- the hellfire. That's not enough. Do you love the Sabbath? Do you love to spend time with Him? Those that truly overcome are those that love God with all their hearts. So this is it, friends. This is it. Do you love Jesus enough? Do you love Him? That's really the, the ultimate deciding factor between it all. And I pray that God would give us the love of studying His Word, the love of spending time with our fellow brethren on Sabbath to fellowship with one another, that He would give us love for each other, that we could walk the road of heaven to, of, together, the road to heaven. So that is my prayer for all of us here. Let's bow. And kneel and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. O oh Lord, we are so undeserving of that love because while Jesus Christ hung there in shame and in pain and agony, we hated him. O oh Lord, please forgive us of our shortcomings, of the sins that we have caused to crucify Jesus Christ anew every day. Father, please help us to be overcomers today. Help us to love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. And Lord, if we don't have that love, please place that love in each of our hearts today. Bless us, I pray, O Lord, and keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.